All right, all right, all right. Let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Actual Anarchy Podcast, a podcast where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian and anarcho-capitalist perspective. Tonight is going to be spoilers all around. We are striking while the iron is hot, so to speak, because we're talking Joker tonight. This has taken October by storm and has become a box office sensation, breaking all sorts of records, despite the critical panning and the mainstream media uh, classifying it as dangerous and uh, people just... I guess don't believe mainstream media anymore. And they wanted to go and see what this movie is all about. So that's why we're talking about it tonight. Like I said, it's going to be spoilers and this is episode 151. So it's going to be high, high, high proof content here. We have a special guest who's going to be uh, coming on at the last night's portion of the show. But before we get to him, let's say hello to Robert, who is also in the state of Texas at the moment. How are you, sir? Hey, buddy. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Calling in from the uh, great state of Texas. And uh, I'm uh, a little lit up right now, so it uh, should be a good show. All right, that sounds good. And, and and you are calling in on a cell phone, so that will be uh, our excuse for the somewhat less crisp communication method here. But you are on a uh, you know you're on a trip, and you, you got to make exceptions. And and I'm I appreciate you carving out the time to do this show. You're welcome, sir. I'm here with uh, me and my cricket buddies, all chirping away. All right, that sounds awesome. Well, let's get into the last nerds portion of the show where we will introduce our guest, uh, Captain A, who was with us for Crazy Heart a few short months ago. So here we go. Hey everyone, it's Daniel Elwood and Robert Johnson, The Last Nighters. And The Last Nighters are part of the Launchpad Media, where they're always launching new ideas in your direction. Check it out at thelaunchpadmedia.com. We are going to be talking about Joker tonight. So it's going to be spoilers, spoilers, and more spoilers. If you haven't seen it yet, go see it and then uh, rewind the tape, come back and check this out, lastnighters.com slash 94 for the show notes and more. And uh, we were intending to have our Batman man from Australia join us, but he has come down with some kind of illness, some sickness. He is in the hospital at the moment. So we had another friend who reached out to us a few weeks ago and said, hey, I just saw Joker. It's awesome. I want to talk about it. And I was like, oh, well, we're already committed. But you can be our backup plan, our our backup quarterback, if you will. And his number got called. We're putting him in, coach. It's Captain A, who is our guest for Crazy Heart. How are you doing, sir? Excellent. Funny you actually said that because somebody asked me to play that song tonight, and I did not. Oh, Put they... me in, coach. <laughs> asked for the credence, I did huh? I didn't want to play it. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I appreciate playing their World Series games or whatever. Oh, okay, yeah, not yeah. the World Series. Excuse me, we are one game away from the World Series. Right now, is that is that tonight? Verlander's on the mound. He was. Yeah, we lost. And this comes back to and Houston. this is the Houston's beating the New Yorks. Is that right? Yes, it's the Houston Sluggernauts versus the Atlanta Braves. Oh, the Braves. That's not true. Well, who's who's beating up on the New York Yankees? 
It's Houston. No, Houston. it's Houston. Yeah, it's totally Houston. Oh. I'm just... Okay. Yeah, it is. You can it's tell us. how closely I follow it. Yeah, now it's 3-2, though, right? Yep, the Astros and the Yankees coming home. Yeah. Tickets are ridiculous expensive. Not worth it. I will stay at home and watch it on TV. Hey, the best seats in the house. You see it way better. Beer's much cheaper. Come on, seriously. Yep. I just found out I got free cable. And so, just like floating cable channels, I don't know. And so I did it the other day, and I get the four main propaganda channels, and then there's 65 total, so that's the four. The other 61 are a mix of home shopping networks, religious channels, and Spanish channels. All the entertainment you need. Life is complete. Life is complete. Yeah. Yeah, you are crushing life right now. Yeah, so you just yep. put this show on top, and then and then you, you, that's all the entertainment that you need. Yeah, no, no, no. If I die tomorrow, it'll be okay. <laughs> it'll be okay. All right. Well, let's <coughs> remind your audience uh, a little bit about you, and then we will get into the Google description and start this thing off. Me, I'm Scott. What uh, am I supposed to say about myself? Uh, I've been snagging around in Liberty for since 2011. Ron Paul suckered me in. I think, like most of us. Um, the infamous Rudy Giuliani moment, which makes it really crazy. Whatever Giuliani's doing now, because I don't, I don't know if he's trying to redeem himself. Maybe I don't know. Going after some of those the Joe Bidens, if, I would have a really hard time hating Rudy Giuliani if he took down Joe Biden and his son. That'd be really tough. I but, <laughs> no, I, I, mean, I still hate him. I mean, it's, it's not a situation where the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I think they're yeah, all bad people, and sometimes they take each other out. Yeah, but yeah, I can no, see you appreciating just, sometimes like a, a stop clock, sometimes the right twice a day. That's probably where it's at. Just appreciating it. Just like the same way I appreciate the Trump forever took down Jeb Bush. Please clap. Right. Please clap. That will that's the greatest yeah. moment, I think, ever. But yep. Nope. Uh and now we're here. And I yell on the internet and cause firestorms. And my favorite thing to do as far as politics goes is getting the first comment in on a news article. So you can sway the opinion. Yeah, that really does set the trend, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. Yeah, you get a lot of engagement that way. Because you know nobody's going to read the article. Nobody does. So if you can get in the the first paragraph and then you go down to the comments, right? Yeah. Yeah. Not even that. Like Facebook pages? No way. They read the commentary that that goes along with it in the title. Yeah. Headline and then go to Facebook comments. Mm -hmm. What are other people thinking? Because I have no ideas of my own. <laughs> yep. No, but man, if you can get in there and say like the first comment inside like a two minute window, you can sway some shit. One of my best one was off of I think a New York Times article, and but at the same time, that might have been the only time I got hate mail. <laughs> That's a badge of honor, sir. Yeah. Now mm-hmm. you've also you have this streak of not getting uh, any Facebook jail time, which I just got about a week ago. And a few days prior to that, one of our YouTube channels was taken down. So we must be doing something right. I, I don't know what. You know, that's right. Oh, God. I, I absolutely thought that it was going to happen the other day because I said trannies. That's what you got banned oh, for. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, when you're speaking. You got knocked off for it. I said it, and I'm still there. Yeah, I guess the proper nomenclature, dude, is trans or transmission. You can't say trans. Yeah, but here's a question. Do you, did you just write it? Because I had mine in quotes. I did just I was, write it. Oh, yeah. oh, distinction. Because that was the only thing I did. Is I was making a quote as a comment about like if you don't do this, then you're this. And I had the word tranny in there, 
And as soon as I said it, I giggled because I was like, Daniel went down for this. <laughs> Nothing. I'm still here. My streak continues. All I right. mean, I did get, I got warned on that photo for LeBron with China. Or no, not China. With the uh, Hong Kong protester. Facebook. It warned me that my photo was censored, but it didn't do anything. Uh, my count is a strike. I think I think you, you get a certain amount of uh, leeway at first, but then if you're a repeat offender, apparently this was my third infraction of some sort, though I don't recall what the first two were. And this one was the only one that was called hate speech. Like it said, oh, you did something in January, you did something in March, and then you just did something now. And this one was hate speech, which I'm like, okay, how is that hate speech? <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> yeah. Hey, well, naming naming any tranny or even mispronouncing their name is violence against a trans training person so yeah yeah according to that town hall you can't yeah. um mispronounce anything and according to that according to that insane person you cannot do that because the words are the literal insane people are the ones that we're all listening to these days and doing what they say but anyway the joker was awesome <laughs> yeah let's start talking about that because <laughs> ostensibly right, god almighty this this is a uh review of this movie so dude i don't know the last time i had a movie where when i'm sitting there watching it i legit Actually, I was worried just because I thought it was funny that it was happening to me. I was worried my girlfriend was going to notice that my heart rate was actually increasing when he was standing in front of the curtain there at the very end uh, before he was about to go on. Because you just, oh, God, he did such a good job of building up this insane amount of intensity where you knew he was about to snap and you were just, just on edge waiting for it. Yeah, I think that's uh, that sounds about right. And, you know, we normally start off with the Google description. So let's get that out of the way and then we'll get into our discussion here. Um, I think we're going to have plenty, plenty to talk about. So this starts out with Joker 2019 drama slash thriller, two hours and two minutes, 8.9 IMDb, 68 percent Rotten Tomatoes and 59 percent Metacritic. However, 94 percent of Google users liked this film. The description is forever alone in a crowd failed comedian. Arthur Fleck seeks connection as he walks the streets of Gotham city. Arthur wears two masks masks. The one he paints for his day job as a clown and the guys he projects in a futile attempt to feel like he's part of the world around him. Isolated, bullied and disregarded by society. Fleck begins a slow descent into madness as he transforms into the criminal mastermind known as the Joker came out October 4th, 2019. The director is Todd Phillips of road trip and the hangover fame. The budget was $55 million, and it is already smashing records for an October release. Uh, It's getting a lot of um, critical panning and a lot of mainstream media attention uh, about it being dangerous and uh, subversive and inciting violence and all these things. But then people go and see it, and it's actually a a pretty powerful film. And in fact, I think it's so good that it's not just a comic book film, and it could even be a good film with a very strong impact, even shedding this comic book skin. Um, but uh, Robert, let's get your take on the Google description. Then we'll go to Scott. Well, Dave Cohen had an interesting idea. I don't know if it was an original idea or not, but that all this negative press is all contrived and it's all an attempt to get it attention. And that, you know, the, the, the press come out and trash it and call it dangerous and all this stuff. And then the, the regular Joe's, regular Joe Lunchpails go out and go, what? No, this is actually good and go out and defend it. I don't know where I lie on that. I don't, I don't think it's a big conspiracy. I think that there are these social justice warriors and I think that they really do try and do some clickbait articles, but a lot of them really do believe this. Cultural Marxism really is a real thing and it's really coming out of the, the colleges 
And they really do see this as a troublesome, you know, white male, dangerous narrative movie. And they really don't like it. And I freaking love this movie. I thought it was so impressive. I just from a, uh, at every level, I was blown away by the music. I was blown away by the directing, the cinematography, the acting, um, just across the board is, is fantastic. And I really, you know, I, I could see a few nitpicks and I'm sure we'll get into those nitpicks. Um, I, since we're doing a completely spoiler thing, um, there were a few things that I was, you know, a little bit less than blown away by. They, they were all story related, but the craftsmanship in this film is incredible. And the fact that it's Todd Phillips, you're like, wait a minute, what? What? This guy directed this movie? This is like a labor of love. Like every, every shot is lovingly crafted. Every scene is all, you know, well thought out and brutally impactful. It is fantastic. It's a great movie. That's, those are my initial thoughts. All right. Well, that's very good. And and I, I echo many of those sentiments. And I think Todd Phillips, he um he started uh, a controversy a few years ago saying that in this PC woke culture, it's getting harder and harder to make comedy films. And so that's why he started changing into more serious uh, type of work. And you see that here. And I think uh, whatever he did just prior to this, um, oh, it was uh, War Dogs, which we actually talked about a couple of years ago. And uh, mm. so you know, and that that sets the scene actually really well because with how the Disneyfication of movies and the SJWism of movies, you were we're almost half expecting a movie about the Joker to come out and be the woker, you know, be a totally mm-hmm. woke uh, <laughs> woke fest. But this totally was was not that though. It does still have a lot of leftist uh, sentiment and and, and uh, elements to it. You know the the uh kill the rich kill the rich you know the class warfare and all that stuff um but and, let, uh they they took away my welfare and so i'm gonna be there or whatever yeah 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 so there's a bunch of that stuff but that you know that just gives us fodder to talk about but um let's get uh scott your take on the good description and anything that robert or i have said thus far and then take us where you would like to go because i know you were excited about this movie um i think the day of the release or the day after you were you're were IMing me you're like dude i want to talk about joker it, it was just I think the I think that was the first time in a movie in a long time where the character, no matter what, no matter what you were doing, you were forced to relate to someone that you knew was just going to do some absolute evil shit. And like not just relate, but sympathize to the point where you can actually understand and even say, I would do that same thing. Not the last scene, but the, the train scene. Yeah, no, that's. I think anybody in the world would have done the same damn thing. And so it's so easy to sympathize with it. And I think that was the, the craziest part about this movie was it it was just on another level scary because of how human it was. And otherwise, y'all's Google descriptions are fine. That was, <coughs> excuse me, I'm sorry. Robert's description was spot on too. Uh, I don't have anything to add to that. I just, man, I, I don't know the last time I walked out of a movie where I was you just couldn't shake the feeling because you just felt dirty for knowing, yeah, okay, if you pushed me in the right buttons like that, I think I would have reacted the same way. And yeah, a, yeah, the um, the subway scene I thought was a clear, at least at the beginning, of course, was a clear self defense. Mm-hmm. And you know, only was he, you know, the guy got away and he was running away to chase him down and kill him. Um, yeah. I'd be, I, I, you know, based on where he was in his world. And who he was killing, 
I I understand why he chased him down and killed him. Like he didn't want any witnesses to this because you know when it comes down to his word versus the 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 the, the other guy, they were going to probably take this other guy's word for it. Um, even though the other guys probably had a blood alcohol level, and I don't know if that lady was going to testify one way or the other, but I could see him in his state of mind thinking, "Hey, this world's against me. No one's going to believe me. I gotta, I gotta make sure there's no witnesses to this thing." So I could, yeah, it was, uh, it was powerful. Yeah. No. And then, and then when he's sitting there, and like, and it's even a, a oh, it's just so creepy. Then when he's sitting there on the couch with his mother, well, the the woman, um, and they're watching wayne talk about the guys and he's sitting there and he's like these were good kids yada 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 and he and he laughs because you know he's like what a fucked up thing for them to say when i know that these guys were trying to harass this young woman and as soon as he laughs the mom immediately chimes in don't laugh that's not that's not not you know defending wayne and it's this creepy like god how many of our parents are quick just to defend some media personality that they have seen forever in a day because they've got this odd trust in this person. When we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the people that these guys that, that he's defending were absolute trash. They were terrible people. And it was, I mean, it was just instant. The lady's response time was even good about it. Cause as soon as he laughed, it's bang. Hey, don't laugh. That's not funny. You know, these are good kids. It's like, God, that was yeah. stuff. Now, the mother had uh, a very strong emotional connection to Thomas Wayne. And, and, you know, she'd worked for him 30 years in the past. And it's later revealed that she believes she believes that he was the father of of Arthur. And so, you know, she was living in this delusion and always thinking that he was going to become aware of their difficult living circumstances and swoop in and be her savior. And, you know, she's a bit delusional in this respect. Um, but I could totally see why she would be, you know, coming to his defense, like immediately when Arthur's laughing about, uh, about that event. Now she would also be aware that he has this laughing condition where he laughs at inappropriate times and it's kind of displayed throughout the movie. Um, and, and it's what kind of instigated the whole, uh, confrontation on the subway. I mean, yeah, they were harassing this woman, but then he was laughing about it and they took offense to that and started bullying him. Uh, so, you know, and they of course took it too far and, and he was in a self-defense situation, at least with the first two. Um, and you know, the, the whole movie yeah. you're, you're presented with this guy and it's, there's something not right with him just at the onset, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's got some issues and you can clearly see that. And then throughout the film, you just hit, hit setback after setback after setback. And I kind of saw that in the, the, the very long stairwell, uh, to get up to his, um, up to his street. Uh, it, it seemed like he was always struggling to get ahead or, or to get his head above water, you know, like, you know, climbing up these stairs and it was arduous and, and he was kind of trudging and he was trying to be normal, you know, trying to be seen and respectable in polite society. And then later on, when he's had all these setbacks and, and they just keep wearing him down, wearing him down in his descent into bandits, when he becomes the Joker, he's skipping and dancing down these steps and he's embracing it. He's embracing this fall from polite society saying, hey, I'm I'm who I am now and I am OK with that. And yeah, he's a psychotic <laughs> uh, going to kill people guy uh, who becomes you know the Joker that we all know from 
the DC Comics lore. Um, but I just saw like a bunch of symbolism in this film that was kind of related to not only the craft, but also, um, you know, telling more to the story. I think this this is a movie that could bear several rewatchings to kind of catch all of these little things that they're trying to convey. And uh, I, I agree with Robert's sentiments that it was just extremely well done and not something that I expected from uh, from a guy who, you know, did the Hangover movies. I didn't know. I didn't yeah, know this is a real step up in his like evolution as a director. I don't know if he was capable of this kind of work all the time or if he's learned some tricks and some things or he's working with some really good and talented people. But for him to toss this out, like, yeah, what's up? This is like, wow, bravo, sir. Because this is ranks among the best directing jobs I've seen in a long time. You know, this is just like right up there. I mean, this 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 could easily win. Not that I give a shit about the Oscars, but this could easily win a, like a half a dozen of those things. Yeah, at least a fast actor. Best actor. Best actor. Deserving. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, at least deserving. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, at least for actor and and the score, the score is amazing, and it's the same person who did the score for Chernobyl, the HBO series. Mm. And uh, well, it was fantastic. Yeah, and that that alone made me feel like I was watching something uh, on par with The Shining, with mm-hmm. the music being kind of almost a character in the film, and it driving the emotional oh, right. narrative. Um, it's yeah. just you know driving and foreboding and and. It, it was just so good. And, and I've actually, um, they've, they've got it on YouTube. You know, you can stream the whole uh, score and it's, it's even just cool background music to work to. Um, but nice. speaking of the shining, there's a bunch of other films I kind of see uh, referenced in this um, one, of course, well, two of them of course are with Robert De Niro. And I think that that's intentional. Why he's in this is because of taxi driver and King of comedy. Um, sure. But then you also see elements of V V for Vendetta or Falling Down or Death Wish, even with Chuck Bronson. Yeah, well, you got your classic uh, anti-hero. Um, I'd say this guy's a little more crazy, which leads you into like, yeah, King of Comedy and Taxi Driver. But you got your traditional hammered upon protagonist that takes matters in his own hands and goes vigilante style. And then things kind of, you know, spiral out of control. Um, I'd like to talk before I get into, um, the tie into the DC universe and that sort of thing. I, you did bring up earlier, Daniel, the question of Arthur's parentage. And I wanted to ask you guys, Daniel, you seem to think that Arthur was in fact just Penny's son, but I got the impression that it really was Thomas Wayne's son and that, uh, Penny and that the whole thing was kind of manufactured to, you know, get rid of an inconvenient child and then, you know, taking advantage of her. At least Arthur seemed to believe that in those flashbacks. So am I alone here in this or, or did you guys also see that? Well, I'll let you take that one, Scott, because I've got plenty to say on it. Uh, yeah, well, no, I mean, I, I guess I guess they did such a good job with portraying it like there was a real possibility that Wayne was lying about the whole thing. And then yeah. when he goes into the office... And the guy gives him the record. Well, he doesn't give him the records. He steals the records from the guy. Um, and right there and there is the adoption form. It shows it. And so it's one of those where it's like, is this one of those moments where you just, you feel so bad for him that you want to believe that that's the case? Because it's an easier story than saying he was an adopted kid who ended up in a shithole house. Um, whereas it's, he just had a, a father who was a big, big name and he had to keep it quiet. Because um, yeah, I will say that this movie does a really good job of giving us scenes 
that are just in Arthur's head. So we're not exactly sure if this is really happening or not. So that yeah, uh, no, leads to some ambiguity, you know? That, that's because that's, I think that's probably what throws me off is given the whole scenes with the, um, the woman um, where he was acting out like he was dating her. I, that, that was a left hook. I didn't see that coming. I thought it was weird, but then I was like, oh, well, maybe she's just damaged. Uh, but then when they did that and they threw that left hook and, and you just knew he was imagining the whole thing. It's like, ah, well, that sure does give a lot of, a lot of credit to the idea that his mother really was delusional. And by this point, he has long since stopped taking his medicine, so it should be full kicking in. And the records, mm. I don't know, the records at the hospital should have been, I don't see why they would have had any reason to lie about those. Well, see, uh, but I, they could have easily been faked by a man yeah. as powerful as Thomas Wayne. Yeah, no, and that's true. It really could. Um, it could have been completely made up, and considering it's the 70s when the movies happen, so what, put it sometime in the late 50s, early 50s? When that mm-hmm. type of thing would have happened, you pr- you probably could have. It probably could have been really easily forged. Um, yeah, and those were the times when um, you know people could be put in a sanitarium under very with very yeah. little evidence. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, uh, Thomas Wayne would have the ability to do such a thing. So here, I thought that I had this this theory that was out there, and here you guys are talking nonchalantly about it. <laughs> okay, okay, no, so, but, no, you know, whatever you let's go, Daniel. Well, I totally saw this as well, and maybe that's just my conspiratorial nature of like looking for connections to things. But yeah, I saw this as Arthur was the blue dress in the uh, Clinton White House, and that mm-hmm. Thomas Wayne went out of his way to gaslight the mother to make yeah. her go crazy and thus get her institutionalized, forge all these documents because you've got Arthur and the mother displaying these delusions. We, we see delusions um, introduced with um, when they're watching uh, De Niro, uh, Murray, Murray's late night show and Arthur envisions himself in the audience and getting called out and invited up on stage and all of those things. And that's, you know, he sees him as this father figure slash savior. Um, so they have this, genetic link right if if the delusions are uh nature versus nurture then the them both having the delusions is a check mark towards the them being genetically related and him not actually being adopted right so yeah right so then that would mean that she actually did have uh him not not adopted so the adoption date papers were faked and if she's saying it's thomas wayne is the dad well I, it could be anybody, but she's saying Thomas Wayne's a dad. I, how about a DNA test here? I mean, I know it's like the 80s, so they don't exist yet, but I don't know. Well, but then the flip side, how much can a traumatic childhood push someone into that state of the mind? Because, I mean, it seems to imply a good bit there that he was very abused, tied to a, a radiator, I think is what they said, um, and found beaten. Uh, and so it's like, how how much trauma could one person go through to push them into being delusional? Whereas it's not, not genetic. I don't know. That make, I don't know. I, that's something that's out of my league. If I'm that just, actually happened, that, that right. could be part of the gaslighting could be part of the fake documents to get her institutionalized. I don't know, man. Right. Cause that would have been supporting having her be in, into Arkham. Yeah. They'd be like, this lady's crazy. That's not my kid. Look at this. Look at what she's doing to her kid, you know, lock yeah. her up. I, it's interesting. I love, that's the beauty of this movie is uh, you can see it well, different okay. ways. You're just so, not exactly well, sure what's going flip on. Side, flip side, it's like obviously Thomas Wayne had something invested in it because why would you, if you randomly remember the woman, know a detail about her son being adopted? 
Like that's mm. a really heavy detail to know about an employee that served with you how long ago? The mother was retired for a pretty good amount of time. Yeah, she'd so said she said 30 years. Long, yeah, so she worked from a long time ago, and he knows that she has an adopted child. So I, I, you could. I mean, it, that seems like something that I know this because I'm the one who made it. So Right. Yeah, suspicious on that end, too. But I've, I've also talked to people who have watched this film, and they were like, oh, no, I thought he was just adopted. So I, I don't know if we're reading too much into it or if we're just noticing details that other people didn't. Yeah, and, and this but goes back to the unreliable narrator. Uh, right. And I'm wondering if there is not some tell, some giveaway for the scenes that are delusions versus the scenes that are not. Like maybe they used a different lighting scheme or a different film or a different whatever. You know, sometimes they'll do that for for movies where they'll have different sequences or different components of the film be shot in different ways to represent um, certain things. Um, and mm -hmm. this one might perhaps be more subtle than most, but it would be an interesting sure. thing to go back and, and look for to see. Okay. Cause we know for sure that the relationship with the girl is totally in Arthur's head and it becomes yes. scary when he shows up in her apartment. And then you realize as an audience that oh she doesn't know who the fuck that is <laughs> on her couch. Right. Right. Or she just knows him as the yeah. weird man down the hall. Right. Yeah, exactly. Ugh. Now, how did you guys feel about the um the scene in Arthur's apartment with the guy who had given him the gun and then tried to like blame it on Arthur? And then the uh the, what's the proper term here? The very short <laughs> the little person. <laughs> Gary. Gary. Oh, this this is a masterful scene. I thought it was gorgeous. The way he locked the door when they came in, and then when uh, the the little person couldn't reach the lock, and you're just mm -hmm. like, oh, he's dead. But then Arthur lets him live. Uh, and then the, the murder was just absolutely brutal. So I, I thought it was all just fantastic. That, that whole scene was just really well done. Really had a lot of thought into it. Yeah, now did you think that had the, the door not been locked or, or Gary had been able to unlatch it himself, that then Arthur would have, would have let him go. And that was like the original plan. But because Gary couldn't reach now, Arthur's been inconvenienced and that's enough to push him over the edge to just kill Gary too. Uh, that could be the way, or he was, he had just planned it. Oh, beforehand. right. Like, he's like, like he walks in and he's like, hey, you can't reach this. Yeah. I'll let you go. Not. Yeah. I'll let you go. Go ahead. Come on. Why aren't you left yet? Oh, you can't. Oh, that's too bad for you. Yeah, that reminded me of um, it's either a Saw movie or a Hostel movie uh, where right. they say, yeah, if you can walk out of here, you're free to go. But then he cuts his Achilles. He can't walk. Uh, right. Right. Oh, no, that's, uh, you're, you're given that's all the saw. tools to get out. But do you really want to sacrifice those? Yeah. yeah. God. And yeah. that was so terrible, man. I, I had Achilles problems when I when I used to train for running <laughs> and seeing that, man. Oh, it really got me right in the gut. Oh, yeah. No, Hostel with the eyeball cut. That was the one that got me. I didn't need that in my life. <laughs> Dude, all hostile movies are nah, yeah. hostiles and saws. Uh, Those movies are just, they're rough. Uh, it was so bad. Uh, you know, but uh, if there's a lull in the conversation, let me jump in here and talk about the wider implications into the DC universe. Because this movie tells a story that we've never heard before in terms of the origin of Thomas and Martha Way's murder. That being by political fanatics and the the movement that Arthur sets off, where there's this resentment about quote unquote rich people, whatever that means, and uh, Mar Thomas is actually running for mayor in this movie, 
And at one point, he he claims that he can get everybody lifted out of poverty by being a mayor. And I'm just like, that's not how it works. You're better off sticking to your day job where you work for Wayne Industries and you create wealth in the private sector. You don't create wealth in the public sector. Sir, as mayor, you would not be able to lift people out of poverty. All you can do is take from one hand and give to the other. So that was that was a little bit frustrating um, to hear that old canard again. But that's that's what politicians do. They promise to lift up the downtrodden, the the vast majority, and then the majority. You know, they're buying votes. That's what they do. Right. And, but, and the mother, um, Arthur's mother, play, uh, lapped up this rhetoric, and it actually supported her delusions that he was going to be her savior. Yeah, hundred percent. She she was loving it. She thought he was a great man, and she didn't want to hear any kind of bad talk about him. But what I loved, 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 loved about this story was that the first like Joker goons are political fanatics and that they are the ones that rescue him out of the cop car after he's been arrested, after he kills Murray, because these would be the people that would care enough about like a political revolutionary figure to do that because they see him as a righteous person doing righteous things, you know, defensively, righteously killing the rich. and. In traditionally, Joker's goons have always just been other thug criminals that he somehow has their loyalty. But if you have like a charismatic, whether well, whether you think he's charismatic or not, they see him as this messiah figure. And people will do crazy shit for messiah figures, political movements. This is the kind of crap that inspires these crazy loyalties enough for them to do that. And then also to go ahead and kill Thomas and Martha Wayne as a, a scene of righteous killing, you know, this is what you get. You deserve this rich boy, you know, that sort of thing. So that's what I really loved about this angle on the old traditional Batman story was this political aspect of it, because that's really what inspires people. It really gets people fired up and it gets people feeling like they're doing the right thing, even when they're murdering and robbing people. Right, Daniel. Right. So right. even though they're, right. they're right about this. even though they're wrong and doing a very evil deed, they see themselves as a hero doing a very good thing. Right. Yeah. And what is this like the eighth or, or ninth time we've seen the Waynes get murdered and the pearls come off the necklace and fall onto the yeah, ground? I don't, he didn't have to do the pearls again. He really did. Uh, we've seen it so many times. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. This is the best one. Let me say this. This was the best not just because it was shot well or whatever, but the reasoning behind it. Because we've always just gotten either the Joker himself, who was Jack Napier in Batman 89, um, just as some you know mafia thug whatever guy killing them for no apparent reason just because they wanted to rob them or whatever. Or it's just some faceless goon killing them in Crime Alley. It's it's never been really explained. I guess you, you know, it's never really been necessary. You're, you're talking about the Batman. All you really need to know about Batman is his parents are dead, so he's got this, uh, you know, revenge on crime drive in him to be the Batman, because otherwise it doesn't make sense for this rich playboy to uh, dress up as a bat at night and go fight crime. Right. And then this movie kind of sets it up that perhaps they're brothers. Yeah. Uh, Spicy. Uh, God, it was it's such a trivia movie. You know, but the crazy thing to me, though, and I, I mean, I say crazy. I only say crazy because of the fact that music is what I do for a living. I don't at all remember the soundtrack. What? Like, I was Man. so... I know. And, and I mean, y'all are saying it, and I'm like, well, I mean, I know, obviously, I know it was there, and I think there was one song that I can kind of remember just because I remember going, ah, oh, well, this is a fucking 70s funky-ass song if I've ever heard one. But Well, no, that no. is the best 
soundtrack, right, though? I mean, if it blends in and it just enhances the mood, that's like the best you can ask for, right? That it doesn't stick out like the far thumb. Well, we've got the and score the and the soundtrack. So what are you referring to? Are you, t- are you referring to like famous songs from the period that are in the movie? Or are you talking about the score, like the music that is tied to the film itself? Just all of it. The score, all of it. Um, any songs that were actual music compared to just instrumental stuff that was done by an orchestra. I just, nope. I, I mean, I was, I was so, so overwhelmed with just what was happening. Um, and I mean, just, I guess the constant build of anticipation and I'm sure the music was there pushing it without me being aware of it. Um, it certainly was. It certainly yeah. was. I, that's yeah. how I noticed it was just how it, help build the tension you're just like oh shit's going down you know that kind of thing it really did by the time we got to him standing in front of the curtain um my heart was just just pounding away and i was like god man i don't remember the last time a movie made me do this yeah i guess just oh it's so overwhelming you know speaking of that tension robert and that slow build um i i noticed that there were like so many instances were like all right that's the turn right there and then, mm-hmm. and then he's normal again for a little while. And then you're like, okay, that's the turn. And that happened three or four different times. And I think that was intentional to sort of play with you a little bit, like build that tension, give you sort of this false release of that tension, and then build it again. Sure. Yeah, no, that's, that's what a good movie does. It just doesn't blow its load in the first act. You got to you gotta tease the audience, right. build that up. And I, I think it did a good job of that. Because you you're never quite sure when he's going to tip and yeah. man, when he does, it's so satisfying. Yeah, it really doesn't happen until he is preparing to go on the Murray show and he leaves his apartment and skips down the stairs. But, you know, when you see him right after killing the guys on the subway and he's like doing this interpretive dance in the bathroom, that's where he's like shedding his his um, normal skin, I, I want to say, or his um, he's like sort of like coming out of his chrysalis, kind of discovering who he's about to become. You know, Buffalo Bill style, like uh, Silence mm-hmm. of the Lambs. The dance mm-hmm. was a trigger. I mean, that was his trigger. I mean, the first time he fires the gun, he's dancing right there. And then he sticks it out and fires it. Same thing right after he fires it in the, the thing. And he goes in the um, the bathroom and dances. Um, right before he goes on the set, he dances. And so it's like every time every time he would start doing that dance, it's like he was letting go. and like like just embracing what was about to happen. Yeah, I agree. I think I think he was letting go of who he was and embracing who he is. Yeah, because I mean, even even think about it when like like the moment he starts doing it behind the curtain, there's those two producers that are standing there, and I remember the little bald guy. Like they both, if just for being fucking side actors in two minutes of a play, they probably didn't get their damn name other than producer behind curtain guy. Uh, and he's looking at him as he starts dancing. And like just that that little subtle moment, you're like like man, that dude's doing a great job of expressing how uncomfortable you would feel witnessing what this man is doing, just because it was just ah, it's so eerie. And then as soon as the curtain goes, and I know that oh man, I know that moment. As soon as the curtain goes, bang, he was on. Yeah, and he I had mean, he had practiced that uh, several times. You know, kind of like walking through what he was going to mm-hmm. be doing, um, and similar to the stairwell. Or, you know, the stairs and him like trudging up the stairs. His movements in the beginning of the film, he's like, he has a shuffling gait and he's just kind of like awkwardly moving. 
But you're right. This dancing, it it opens him up as he becomes the Joker. And by the end of it, he's like frolicking and dancing and like very fluidly moving. It's like um, it, it's another I don't know. Maybe there's some symbolism to that. But he's like becoming more comfortable with with who he is. And he's kind of, I don't know, like demonstrating that with the physicality. Well, I mean, I mean mm-hmm. even maybe mm-hmm. if you went in the idea of like um folks using dance to go into like a trance, you know? Mm. Yeah, to let loose your nervousness and get yeah. up and shake out the jitters. Yeah. And sort of so the moment the moment he does it, he just lets go. And cuz he does every time he does it is when he's like the first when he's standing there in the living room and he when he scares the shit out of himself when he shoots the gun. He's He's just all of a sudden just slowly starting to just a little bit embrace that dance and just be kind of creepy. And and then all of a sudden, bang, like it just happens so fast. And it's almost it's weird that you would you would expect him to to realize that his gun was loaded. But it's like it still managed to shock him that he's now suddenly back in the reality of the situation that, hey, I just fired a gun in the living room when he was so totally immersed in that moment right before it happened. Yeah. He completely let go. And ah, dude, it was. That was a great film. I want to see it again in the theater before it, it kicks out. Yeah, I think I do want to see it again, but I'll probably wait to purchase it and, and be able to watch it again. Um, my wife and I, we, we've we enjoyed The Shining many times. Robert hates that movie, but that's kind of Robert's uh, trope, is disliking most of the movies we talk hey, about. Hey, I like good movies. <laughs> I like this one. I like Joker. I like Joker. But uh, I wanted to also bring up another kind of initial thing that helps us sort of sympathize with Arthur. But then the same thing happens again, and then we don't like him. And that's when those, um, they call them gang members, but they're these younger kids that steal the sign from him in the very opening. And he's chasing them to go get this sign back. And then he gets beat up. And the owner of the clown company blames Arthur for stealing this sign from this business that's uh, liquidating. And he doesn't believe Arthur. Like, why would I take the sign? You know, the sign got destroyed. It got, I got beat up. I mean, look at me. And, and the guy doesn't believe him. And I mean, we, we know the story, right? Like we watched it as an audience. So we know that this guy's being totally unreasonable. But then later on, when, when he's confronting him again about the gun dropping out of his uh, pocket at the hospital, and he's saying it's a prop or whatever, then we know Arthur's lying to him. And so it's almost like there's this justification that, yeah, he, he is going to get fired legitimately for that. But getting his pay docked and whatever for the initial, you know, the sign fiasco was, you know, an injustice. Yeah, that was definitely an injustice. It seemed like his boss, I mean, we don't, we pick up the story at, you know, this point, we're not seeing their history, but all we have to go on is, is Arthur's story. And yeah, the, 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 the owner is being, you know, not taking his side. He's not going to bat for Arthur at all. He's not believing him. And we don't know why. Maybe he's got reason to not believe him, but we don't know that. But it sure seems it sure seems odd that, I mean, here you got your employee standing there telling you one thing, and he's got a bunch of bruises all over his body. And and then it's just a sign. Like, what's the motive for him stealing a sign for a business? And then why would the business want that sign back? They're going out of business. I mean... <laughs> You wait, wait, wait like a month and then you know, they, they won't exist anymore. Why do they give a shit? But unless, unless it's one of those furniture store or rug stores that are always going out of business, then they just mm-hmm. change the name and have another going out of business. Yeah. Uh, one, time, <laughs> yeah, put it, everything uh, go. <laughs> one time I was at a uh, Waffle House here uh, somewhere around Houston. And I remember the lady handed me the menu 
and on it was this dinner special and it had this like fancy little special thing around it. It was like super special discount, only $5.99. And I don't know why I did. I, I, I just happened to look at the lady and I was like, how long has this thing been on special? And she just giggled. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of what I figured. So it's perpetual yeah, special. Ever <laughs> discounted. Yeah. Uh, no, I, man, there were, there were so many things that happened to them that you feel terrible. You just feel absolutely terrible. And but then of course they do. They litter in those moments when he's sitting there at the uh, the clinic and where they've removed our funding and that's the end. That you know, and they make it they make it seem like there's no other alternative. That's it. The moment. Yeah, and then it's the government. And then it's just the rich, whoever those are, that doesn't care about the poor people. Yeah. Yeah, and and yeah, we're we're right. we're opening the film with you know there's there's a recession. And there's a garbage strike. And so there's garbage everywhere and there's super rats. But even in a recession, you know, the the capitalist swine, <laughs> you know, they're suffering as well. The rich are suffering as well, as far as like things aren't as productive as they otherwise would. You know, there are problems and 99% of them are government related <laughs> or central banking uh, um, instigated. But um, yeah, this, this definitely does seem to be like pitting uh, the the rich versus the everyone else and showing how hard people's lives are during a recession and during a garbage strike and how filthy and difficult things are. And um, I guess that foments the V for Vendetta kind of vigilantism that gets inspired by Arthur's actions. Well, and this mirrors the real world, right? I mean, you got people like Bernie Sanders talking about how the, you know, the rich are always at fault or they're the, they're the, cause of all your problems well just the billionaires not, never really no longer the millionaires well, so yeah, not, not no longer just the millionaires now it's just the billionaires right 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 but you know back in the day it was you know the robber barons who are always the bad guys and it's always there's always somebody that they can point a finger to and it's never the right people it's never the right people i mean sometimes they go well it's the bankers but then they don't get why it's the bankers. They don't see the government involvement and the Fed and that sort of thing. They're just like, well, they just really greedy bankers. It's like, yeah, okay, but the why? This, you know, it's just, yeah. But it's, it's, it, I like the fact that it's it mirrors the real world. So it's 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 this class, you know, pitting two classes against each other because that's what government does, right? They're always like, well, we'll take from one class and give to the other and kind of divide and conquer sort of thing. Yeah, and make one one class uh, dependent on us. Yeah, and so then yeah, you always have uh, a, a contingent willing to vote for you, and 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 you see it. Right. You know, Mankin was right. Every election is an advance auction on stolen goods. I mean, you've seen the uh, Democratic debates lately. They can't give away enough. You know, just <laughs> a fire sale and other people's stuff. <laughs> Constant liquidation. We're going out. Everything of business. must go. Going out of business. <laughs> Every fire sale. Everything. Uh, all right. So his girlfriend. The woman that he's with. So maybe, and you, you hinted at this with the idea that maybe there's like a lighting change. Maybe because the first time we see him go into the delusion and he's um, watching TV and he goes to the Murray show, his face, he's super relaxed. He's smiling, you know, like when everybody's cheering for him and he's like got his hands like claps together and he's like, ah, just like totally sucking it in. And so it's like, maybe that's what we missed. Maybe whenever he's in the delusion, there is a gentleness to his face that does not exist when he is in the real world. And that 
is the giveaway as to when he's being just outside his mind because I, I didn't, I didn't, he seemed so content and I thought it was just one of those weird love stories where why the hell, I mean, why not? I mean, they live in the same building. They probably deal with the same shit considering they live in the same building and it's a crappy building. Um, so why wouldn't they be able to have some weird relationship together? But yeah, yeah. yeah to, to build off that, I yeah. would say that if you're looking at it as a traditional like love story, I would say this this love story doesn't work because you're not shown the parts where they're falling in love. But I've watched movies where you that happens, like they just kind of like have it let the audience fill in the blanks of their romance, and then all of a sudden they're just together. Um, I want to say like Punch Drunk Love is kind of like that. Uh, I can't think of another film off the top of my head, but I can see that kind of narrative sort of working. So I can see why you would buy that um, they're together, even though it doesn't seem like they have a, any chemistry oh, or dude, that he's it. an appealing character in any way. I did. I totally ate it. I mean, that was when it, when it, when he's sitting in the living room and I'm like, Oh shit, she didn't even know. And I was, that was just a slap in the face. I, I had no idea. And then they show the flashback and she's not there in any of it. Um, and so that's why it's like, maybe that's, maybe that's how you tell the delusion is happening is that when he's in the moment and he's delusional space is this gentle, like he is in that one moment where he's in the Murray show. Uh, cause he does, he's just, he just looks like he's so loved and he's just so caught up in it and he's just smiling yeah. and yeah. kind of lean back and just soaking it in. And, and so I'm like, I wonder if that's he's got Murray. Yeah, he's got Murray telling him he, he's the son he's always wanted, and he's just so happy. Yeah. He's got, like, a father's approval, and that's all he really wants, yeah. and, you know, yeah. Uh-huh. He's got that shit grin on his face. It's like, I wonder if that's what it is. I wonder if that's the giveaway where once he's in the delusion, he's happy, you know? Yeah, it would be so great. So wouldn't he look at it? It would be great if there was a tell of some sort, sort of like in uh, Sixth Sense, you know? I, I don't remember it, like, all that well, but apparently if you rewatch it knowing that spoilers everyone bruce willis is dead in the movie what (laughs) then you can tell there's something about the interactions of him in the movie that um would give it away if you noticed it and so when you rewatch you can actually tell that something's not quite right and that gives it away that he was dead the whole time and um there are some deleted scenes apparently for joker that have been referenced Mm. in some youtube videos and apparently there was supposed to be a cat that he interacts with in his apartment and the cat is just like watching him and they make it like um, like the cat interacting, watching him is the interaction. And it happens every time he's in the apartment. Um, but then in, uh, I believe, one of the scenes, you see a mirror and there's no reflection of the cat. Mm. Okay. So maybe when this comes out, we can all watch the deleted scenes and see what they were trying to do there. Because um, it, it would be interesting if the relationship with the woman down the hall was actually intended to be real and then well they had to cut for time or whatever so like all right let's take the imaginary cat make it the imaginary woman (laughs) and bada bing we got a movie here. or maybe or maybe the cat was like a superfluous thing and then to make it a tighter film they're like well we have one imaginary element we don't need two i don't know we'll see yeah that would that's probably that's a whole lot of multiple shocks all of a sudden you're looking in the mirror and the cat's gone too um because there are there's man that they do a really good job of constantly surprising you with a new level of totally fucked up Joker. Just, just what? God, that he's not a normal human being. Yeah. What did you guys make of um, 
the two detectives that were kind of harassing him and following him around. And then they end up um, getting in an altercation with people on the subway themselves. And then the, the people on the subway fight back. Um, well, they were actually investigating what they thought was a murder, which was inspiring this big old political movement. So I can see why there would probably actually get off their asses and try and find out who killed this person, these people. Um, I don't know. I don't have a whole lot of thoughts on the, the, the cops. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was well done. None, none of it seemed like a stretch or disbelievable. Um, I like how Arthur was pretty much just running away from them and he kind of lucked into these Joker clowns to his political movement people to, you know, kind of hide in. And, you know, they wanted, he wanted to clear the, the subway. So he was like firing his gun and trying to get people out of the way or waving it around and whatever. And the clowns were like, you know what? Screw you, buddy. I, I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't know. I guess you could say it in the sense that they did a good job of having the cops come around at just the moment when it's just an extra bit of salt to whatever is happening to the Joker. It's just one more thing. We're like, ah, they came by today. That's the last thing I wanted. Oh, they called again. They they want to talk to you. It is now a bad time. You know, just just enough of a little bit of a pester. Um, then, yeah, as far as what happens to them, it's really hard to, to feel bad. They go in there waving their gun around, and people are pissed off. Yeah, I saw the... They ain't got time for that. I saw the cops is, like, um, cornering him. Like, every interaction, they were getting closer and closer to, like, revealing that they knew he was the one who did it. And it seemed right. as if when he was preparing to go on the Murray show, he was also kind of contemplating killing himself. Like there was a scene where he was about to like crawl in the refrigerator or he was practicing what he was going to say on the show. And, and then he you know, was going to shoot himself or whatever. I think he went into the Murray show expecting not to come out of it, like sort of a suicide by cop thing or if, if not killing himself. Um, Except you can't have the Joker kill himself because he's the Joker. Well, obviously. He's either the Joker or he's a Joker. Okay. You know, he, he okay, because I'll, he's ins- maybe. he's inspired this uh, political movement. Anyone who was inspired by him could then become the Joker that we all know. Okay. Okay, I'll buy that. That's, that's possible. I, I would feel a little bit betrayed by that movie, by that movie twist, but I could I could see it happening. How great though was that call when the uh, the, the show producer calls him and he's like, and we as the audience have no idea if this is really happening or not. Oh yeah, absolutely. At that point, you already know that he's fucked up and seeing shit. And I was, it was like, oh okay. Um, but then there was, there was that part of your brain where you're like, I don't know, that seems like something that a show would do, like take somebody that they're absolutely laughing at and just just soak soak it for everything that it's worth, every view that you can possibly get out of it. And it's interesting that he realized it, you know, like. He realized yeah, that it, I knew guess, better than anybody brought anybody else. Yeah. yeah. You you called me the Joker, or you called me a Joker. And it's like he clearly fixated on it when everybody else is like, oh, well, this is kind of happening. I thought it was going to be one of those, like, he actually does go on the show and does a comedy, comedy set. And that it, it's done in the antics of the Joker. Um, oh, goodness. The movie was so intense. Yeah. That was really good. How are we doing on time, Daniel? You know, we're probably at a good point where we could start to wind down and, and uh, do some final summary and review with scores. So um, if you want to lead us off, Robert, then we can go to Scott and then I'll wrap it up. Okay. Well, I am going to stop short of calling this movie a masterpiece, although it is masterly crafted. 
um, it, amazing that it came from. I, mean, I was like, man, is this where movies are at now? Movies are this good now? Or is this just like an anomaly? Because, wow, this thing really came together. I just Every, every little bit was so well done. Um, I love the setting. I love the the take, the alternate take on the Joker story. I mean, that's one of the fun things about the Joker is that you never know, you know, what his true origin is or even what his true name is. And this is just another adding to the mythos. Um, I will say, though, that and this is not an original idea that I've had. Just I have agreed with what other people have said um, after seeing the film and that um, the Joker, it, at least in the in the Dark Knight series, the Joker is a masterful, intelligent you know, just schemer. Like he is coming up with all these master plans and he is just a genius. And the only thing that beats him is this super dedicated billionaire with all these gadgets. And that he is only, he only loses because Batman's so pure hearted and so talented and so skilled and so trained well and whatever. But that, you know, Joker's always one step ahead with all his schemes. And this Joker is definitely not like a super intelligent schemer guy. Now this is his origin story. So, as one person I was talking to put it, you know, this is like the early stages of his career and maybe he moves on to another stage where he becomes more of a schemer guy. But I just don't know if I see this kind of mentally deluded, um, not super intelligent guy turning into that person. But um, I mean, this movie is just so great. I mean, it's just such a minor quibble. I, 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 coming from the comic book world, anytime, you know, you have a new writer, you're going to have a new take on a character. And so there have been hundreds of different takes on the Joker, and each one is equally valid. And this one, just as so. I don't know if this is going to actually be considered part of the DCEU, or the CU, sorry, the DC Cinematic Universe, but it certainly could be um, because, you know, it's the Joker, and you could have a thousand Joker origin movies, and they could all be equally valid. That's what's so fun about the character. Um, but yeah, this is just so well done. Uh, this is a, this is like a nine, a 9.0 or a 9.1. This is one of the best movies I've seen in a long time. It's definitely the best movie of the year that I've seen. Um, it's probably going to be criminally ignored come, uh, award season, but I mean, who gives a shit? So, uh, yeah, that's, that's my review for this movie. Go out and see it if you haven't seen it, or if you, you definitely need to have seen it if you're listening to this. So I'm sure you enjoyed it. Uh, if you disagree, I'd love to hear your reasons why. I know this movie is getting some negative reviews, but I haven't seen any negative reviews that I have respected their views. They seem to have other issues with the movie that are like minor quibbles or made up bullshit. So uh, if you have some legitimate complaints, I, I, I'd love to hear those. But uh, yeah, that's what it, but that's what I think. A 9.1 for me. All right. Very good. Well, Scott, uh, take it from there. Give us your uh, overall review and a score, please. Yep. Uh, easily the best movie I think I've seen. Um, I think ever, uh, goodness, it was just incredible. Um, the intensity, the, the realness of it, that you can put yourself in his shoes and sympathize with somebody that's so demented, um, is the scariest thing. Cause it's like that, it's like a doctor. It's like a Jordan Peterson moment where, where it's forcing everyone to acknowledge the evil monster inside of them whether they want to or not. You want to pretend like you can be a nice human being. Sure you can, but we push the right buttons and you can be the Joker. And it just, Oh God, dude, it was just so intense. It was, it was the best movie I've seen. Um, absolutely go see it. 
Uh, I honestly hope that it changes the whole Batman DC universe. I would rather see stories like this, um, where the Batman that responds to this type of Joker is kind of demented in his own right. Um, I don't, I don't want, I, I kind of thought that was the, the thing that people were going into the movie worrying about was how come it lacked that typical Batman movie action type cartoon feel to it. And it wasn't, it was this super dark story that it opened up a whole other universe of all of those characters where you can easily make another reactive with a Batman. That's just as dark. Uh, that actually might kill people. You know, I, I would have to, I, I hate the Batmans where he just knocks everybody out. Cause I'm like, dude, these guys that he's dealing with are just the worst criminals. I would have to imagine that some of them are going to die. Like some, some of those moments are going to happen where they're going to die. And it's like, I would just like to see that whole shift where we try and relate the movie to that world that we saw in the Joker. Um, I, I am two on the nine scale. I would happily give it a nine five because it really was. I think it was I think it was my favorite movie um, and easily the best one I've seen. And I don't know how I don't I don't know what other movie I would even try to say, oh, yeah, OK, here's the next best movie right next to it. I, I just don't right now. It's it absolutely just kicked everybody's ass. All right. Film. Well, thank you for that. And, and, and nine five for your favorite film of all time. So. Yeah, and, and let me just let me just interject real quick before you start, Daniel. I just want to say, I, back when Heath Ledger did Joker, I was like, wow, this is like the most incredible Joker I've ever seen. But Joaquin Phoenix's performance in this film, with his physicality and the way he lost all the weight and the way the movie lived and died on his shoulders, the way he carried it was phenomenal. He did a great job. But go ahead, Absolutely. Daniel. Sorry. All right, very good. Well, I also think that this was very well done and, and I found very few faults in it. I really love the music and the tone. And uh, like I said, it was reminiscent of The Shining. I think this actually su surpasses Ledger with the depth of the character, though I still love Ledger's performance. But here we are getting like the chrysalis from the you know caterpillar into the butterfly of the Joker, whereas Ledger was just full-blown enigmatic chaotic yeah you know he uh, was anarchy <laughs> well, right right yeah right. tm <laughs> uh but yeah i mean i i i love this movie um i saw it on the imax which i didn't think imax was um just a really big screen i remember going to the science center back when i was a kid and imax was sort of this wraparound screen apparently that's not the thing anymore now it's just like a really big screen with a apparently high resolution. So I paid extra dollars on the uh, gift card I'd received from for Christmas, like three years ago. They'd been sitting around <laughs> in a drawer. I told you, I told you the secret. <laughs> yes, you did tell me the secret and I did not do it. Um, but uh, yeah, I really enjoyed this film. I think that it bears rewatching uh, probably multiple times and, and you can probably find different interpretations and different symbolism and different meaning uh, within it. I think this is a film that um, is a character study uh, that is like a film school analysis type film. Like you would watch this film uh, and analyze it to see how to do this type of thing, to set this kind of scene, to tell this kind of story, to, to maintain such, uh, it, it's such a big story, but it also feels confined. I mean, in a way it's, it's almost claustrophobic because Joaquin is on the screen 95% of the time. I mean, it, this hinges on his performance and his performance, uh, almost alone carries it, but the rest of it's also just so good. 
So I'm going to go with you know, like a 10 on this thing. I mean, I've, I haven't given a 10 to anything Whoa. and I don't see it really anything wrong with this film. I mean, the only thing that, that might have been a detraction was De Niro, but that's just because I don't like him anymore due to his politics. <laughs> you know what I was I wonder if you're bring that up. Was his shoes. <laughs> Because uh, he wears those big platform shoes. You ever seen that? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He definitely does. Yeah. And they showed him on that shot when he's walking out. And that's all I could think about. I was like, okay, so the very next shot when we don't see your feet, you know, you're going to be in those platforms and giving yourself about three inches of height. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I know why he was in this film. And it's because of Taxi Driver and King of Comedy. So I almost have to give it a pass. Like it, it's, it's like this subtle nod that makes it a bit of a trilogy, uh, according to our, our pal Mike C., who um, he actually wants to come on and talk about either of those films and then give us his related perspective on this film. Um, I think that'd be really good. And uh, Shaheen, who was going to be our, our original guest, he, of course, fell ill. So, Scott, you filled in admirably. Um, I think we're going to have him on for another Batman-related movie where we'll get his take on Joker, uh, where we do one of the inspirations for this, which was the uh, the Killing Joke, which I believe is an animated uh, movie version of a comic book um, limited series that was from uh, probably what the mid nineties, Robert, does that sound about right? Uh, the original killing joke was like 87, 88, but yeah, the, the animated version came out just like two years ago, year and ago, something like that. All right. Yeah. So we'll be hitting that up uh, with him. And and so you basically we're going to be talking about Joker and Joker related stuff um, in future episodes again, because I think that there's still even more to like dig into it. And, and I'll have wanted to watch this again uh, before we do that. Um, but you know, next week, we're going to be bringing you an obliquely Halloween-themed flick, everyone. Uh, it is The Karate Kid. Not the first thing uh, you think oh of yeah. as a Halloween film. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but you've got Daniel the Bully dressed as a shower, uh, fighting mm. the uh, Cobra Kai guys, all dressed badass style in the uh, skeleton outfits before they get their asses kicked by Mr. Miyagi. So that's going to be our episode next week, The Karate Kid, with the uniquely awesome Raylene Lightheart of Blastoff with Johnny Rocket. So that will be cool. the one uh, for next week for the happy, happy, happy Halloweens. And um, any final words for our audience? Um, uh, well, actually, before we do that, Robert, how can people support the show? What, what can they do to make this show be better? And then we'll get final words from Scott and then we'll say goodnight. Well, the best way you can make the show better is to interact with us and tell us what we're doing wrong. Tell us how we're wrong and have good arguments because we love to argue about that sort of thing. But if you want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can leave a review on iTunes. You can tell a friend. You could buy some of our merch at Trevor.com. You could, uh, you know, get on Facebook and be like, yo, have you heard this new show? It's not even a new show, but you could pretend like it's a new show. You could, don't, aren't we, Daniel? Hey, aren't we on like some libertarian uh, ranked podcast list i don't know if we have any votes yet you could go and vote for us there what what, what, what do you know what the address is daniel i want to say it's podcastranker.com and yeah we're on there and we got a couple of votes and so check us out uh raise our profile get us uh, some more earballs that'd be really great yeah do that and listen and tell friends thanks everybody all right and scott thank you so much for being our guest we'd love to have you back again in the future just let us know what Woo. uh what you'd be interested in doing and uh, any final yeah. words for yeah. the audience before we uh Say goodnight from last night on the uh, Last Nighters episode 94 of the show. Uh, no. Just a friendly reminder that you got banned for the word tranny and I didn't. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well played, sir. All right, everyone. Good night from last night.
All right, we'll continue the transmission a little bit longer on the Actual Anarchy podcast. Uh, Scott's in the background dancing to the Last Nighter's uh, little intro, outro music. So don't turn all Joker on us there, bud, with uh, with the dancing. <laughs> He's becoming who he is and less who he was. Yes, mm-hmm. indeed. Hey, did you see that article? It came out here recently that it was a woman on the Oprah Winfrey Network. She's a uh, um, a gender studies professor. She is a black woman that is also obese. And she decided to make the claim that other black women that are obese are only obese because of Trump. Somehow, oh, really? I've heard it's only because of white supremacy. Pretty much. Somehow these, these women did not exist before 2016. Oh, wow. That is, they've been putting on the weight, really packing it on the past couple of years. Super fast. Super fast. That's hilarious because I've yeah in the past I've heard that it's white supremacy which kind of makes a little more sense because at least white supremacy has always been around right ever since there's Mm -hmm. been white people. Yep. Oh, she did. She made that distinction too that the uh, oh what is it the lack of economic choice caused by white supremacy results in (laughs) limited limited food choices. Yeah, they just can't help themselves. Yeah, they it's, it's their victims. They just can't they help themselves. They are victims, and they can't, is, they, yeah. they can't exercise always, because, because nope. the whites prevent them from exercising <laughs> or from eating healthy. Oh, speaking of not being able to control themselves, uh, STDs are on the rise, and one of the reasons for the rise of STDs is lack of access to health care. No, of course. Of course. It has nothing to do with any type of sexual interaction. If you can't fucking hobby the lobby, those sons of bitches. <laughs> you know, I actually also <laughs> giving us all gonorrhea. <laughs> Damn it. You know, I heard I heard the other day that um STD is also no not the proper nomenclature any longer. Now it's an STI or something like that, because uh calling it a disease is um somehow oppressive. I I I can't imagine Violence. I can't believe we <laughs> as a collective society, and I'm not a collectivist, but we as a collective society are just bowing to these word Nazis who created this crazy bullshit. And then everybody's just like following along. I, it sucks that they why? have all the, all the high places. We're, we're bowing better, to maybe. the most offended to the crazies. Yeah. I mean, whatever. I mean, at least it gives Isn't us fodder to make fun of it. But weirdest, come on. It's the weirdest backfire of being an anarchist and supporting the voice of down to the individual. When suddenly it seems like the loudest individuals these days are just fucking idiots. Yeah. So while we have a few more moments, I wanted to ask you guys your thoughts on where the various Jokers in rank order from worst to first. Ooh, ooh. Mm. Well, there's so many. There really are so many because I have to include Mark Hamill as the voice of the animated Joker. Indeed. But then there's also, what was his name? Cesar, the original Joker back in the 60s. Yeah, Cesar Romero, I believe. Yeah, Cesar Romero, that's the guy. Um, then, of course, there's Jack Nicholson. And then Ledger. Yep, and and I, Phoenix. And then, yep, and and then, then nobody else ever. <laughs> I'm sure there's some others. I mean, I know there's... Um, Mark Hamill hasn't voiced the Joker every time. Um, I know he's, he's voiced them in the Arkham games and most of the... But in the, we did the Dark Knight um, Returns animated, and that was not voiced by Hamill. So I couldn't tell you who did that, though. But he did a pretty decent job. Yeah, Hamill did like the Batman television series, right? Animated. Yeah, yeah. and a few other movies that he's been in, like animated movies. 
Right. And now there, but, there, there is another one who, another person who portrayed uh, the Joker, who is somewhat famous, uh, was in a terrible movie that you reviewed in about 20 seconds um, on one of our other episodes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Suicide Squad, right? Yeah. yeah, I almost don't want to mention it. The forgettable it's, Jared Leto. It's so bad. Uh, <laughs> so obviously he's going to be the worst, right? Like well, we have a consensus on this. He's probably, the worst Joker. Okay. Well, first of all, I in I mean I don't think Jared Leto's a terrible actor. And to be fair, um, there was a lot of material that they left on the cutting room floor in that film. Like they shot a ton of Joker stuff that they totally changed that movie in the editing room. So I, I mean, but all you're right. I mean, all we can do is judge the film by what we see. And yeah, he was not a great Joker. I wouldn't say that he was a terrible Joker, but he's definitely a forgettable Joker in that film, and not through not you know I all his fault. Yeah, well, we're doing rank order, not not um, objective. Like he was, you know, this percent bad. We're we're doing it related to all the other people who played Joker. So if they were all half decent, there's still one who was the worst of the bunch. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Well, then I'm going to say that Jack Nicholson, when he first did Batman 89, everybody was like, whoa, check out Jack Nicholson, the Batman. He's amazing. And I will say that he has since been put to shame by all these other actors. Now, probably because movies have gotten better. And, you know, I mean, uh, just like that original take is still pretty decent. But the Heath Ledger and Joaquin Phoenix have just been so much more nuanced and interesting. Whereas Nicholson played him kind of straight up comic booky. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'd go Nicholson, Romero, Ledger Phoenix. Oh, and then wait, where would I put in where would I put in Hamill? And I'd Leto. put in Hamill uh, right around Ledger, probably just under Ledger. That's my list. Right, and where was Leto in your list at the bottom? Who? Jared Leto. <laughs> oh Leto. Yeah, yeah. We'll have Leto at the bottom. Uh, then Nicholson, then Romero, then Ledger. Then yeah, my top two. All right. Well, I, I think I think you skipped Hamill and then Ledger and then Joaquin. Hamill, Hamill, Ledger, Phoenix. Yeah. All right. All right. Very good. Uh, Scott, do you have any deviations from that score? Because that is my score. That's my rank order as well. And uh, and it doesn't mean I hate any of them. I I actually enjoy the old slapsticky '60s Batman's with uh, Cesar Romero. You know, I mean, he's, and they're fighting sharks and. I <laughs> yeah, he's got the shark repellent spray. <laughs> I didn't watch any of those. Um, I didn't watch the Leto Joker either. Um, but I was turned off by what I saw from it in the previews. But my list is simply just because I haven't seen the others. Um, Joaquin's first Ledger and then Jack Nichols. All right. Very good. Cool. Well, cool. that was our little uh, bonus content for the Actual Anarchy listeners. So this has been episode 151 of that show, the Actual Anarchy podcast. And, uh, Give us a rating or review on the old iTunes. That helps us raise the profile. And you can hit us up on the Patreon and potentially watch us do this Making the Sausage live uh, at the live stream. That's, I believe, at the $5 a month or higher level. So hit us up at actualanarchy.com slash Patreon. Scott, you've been a wonderful guest. And if you can stick around, we can do some of that bonus content uh, for our Patreons uh, right after this in what we affectionately call Kathleen Turner Overdrive. (laughs) Woo! All right. Sounds good. Well, hey, Maximum Freedom, everyone. Have a good night.
the chipmunks. C-H-I-P-M-U-N-K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do, 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 days of the internet, radical libertarians were scattered, lonely, and faceless. Without direction, they resigned to scour the web, sifting through content providers in a wasteland plagued by YouTube demonetization, Facebook jail, and covert internet censorship. But then, in 2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com.